0: Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Settner Geology Podcast, Episode 78, Crashing a GSA Field Trip. Thanks for listening. GSA, that's the Geological Society of America, a long-standing organization, along with AGU, which is the American Geophysical Union, I think. Uh, those are the big organizations for us geologists, at least here in the U.S., and, you know, there's an international set of geologists that uh, participate in those two organizations as well. It's formal. You have to pay your membership dues. You get your uh, magazine every month that, at least for me, you barely read, Um There's organized conferences, there's organized field trips, everything's organized, everything's planned, everything's through the proper channels, Um, you know, and that's the way it's been for many, many decades. Well, times have been changing, and I'm talking about the internet now, and I'm talking about inclusivity, and I'm talking about changing demographics within the scientific community, etc., and some of us feel like we're doing things differently than the old ways. So what am I getting at here? Well, I am a member, I guess, of the Geological Society of America. What do I mean, I guess? I am. I, I, pay, I guess I pay my annual dues when I, I know I'm going to be going to a conference uh, within a year, uh, as is the case. Remember the last radio episode, I gave a little report on the GSA meeting in Portland, and shared some of my impressions from talks and posters that I um, attended. Enjoyed it very much. But along the lines with the GSA annual meeting, there are usually some field trips that are uh, that you need to register for. You need to sign up for. You need to pay a pay through the nose uh, to be on these field trips. And they put you up in hotels and they provide meals and the whole thing. And there's very careful uh, organization of those field trips, including limiting the number of people so that uh, you, know, you don't have you know, 100 people at an outcrop, that sort of thing. So uh, after the Portland meeting was done, the next day, a group of geologists, led by Richard Waite and Brian Atwater, both from the USGS, uh, a f- a four day field trip was. Um, a four day field trip commenced <laughs> from downtown Portland, and they were heading towards the Grand Coulee of Washington. And so I'm reporting on me crashing the party. So, did I register for the field trip? No, I didn't. Was I at the ma- a meeting in Portland? Yes, I was. So. Who am I? Why do I think I can just show up at this field trip and, uh, and uh, you know, not get kicked out? Well, I am an older white gentleman. I'm entitled to things like that. Just kidding. No, I know all those folks, or many of those folks, from past uh, emails and, and uh, videos that I've done with them. Brian Atwater, Jim O'Connor. Richard Waite, Vic Baker, Sky Cooley, Bruce Buerenstedt. I have, you know, there's water under the bridge with all those cats. And right up, right, I'll say right up front before I forget it, uh, one of the leaders was Michelle Hansen, who I don't know. I didn't know what she looked like. I know she's a valued researcher in the Ice Age Floods community, kind of an emerging star, I think, with sedimentology within these. Uh, Ice Age Lakes. She was on the trip and I didn't know it was her. So I just posted the video. So in other words, I crashed the the field trip. That's what I'm talking about today. I not only crashed the field trip and just kind of was a fly on the wall for a few hours, but of course I had the audacity to start filming. (laughs) So it was, you know, borderline inappropriate, maybe completely inappropriate, but I did it anyway, and um, I just posted the video this morning on my YouTube channel, and I think it's a good one, and And if this report, which is kind of viewed as uh, maybe a compliment to the video or gives you a little extra background on the video, uh, you might enjoy that one if you have the time. It's almost an hour. I couldn't cut most of it out because uh, I thought it was very good. But my point is, Michelle Hansen is in the background of some of this, and if I had known it was Michelle Hansen, uh, I would have interviewed her as well. So apologies to Michelle. I've already uh, exchanged messages with her on Twitter once I realized who it was. But the main impetus was this is maybe the first time and maybe the last time that all the big boys, all the heavy hitters of the Ice Age floods research in the last 50 years were together. And I don't need to comment on behind the scenes stuff, but I'll just say that that these geologists have not all been on the same page and have not been all collaborating through the years uh, in lockstep with each other. Which is a healthy part of science, I guess, to a point where not everybody's kind of banging the same drum, the same narrative. I'll leave it there. So it was a rare opportunity, and and this is two hours away from where I live. So the report, here we go. No no preambles, here we go. So I decided uh, the night before um, to check the weather. Weather looked great. Again, this is two weekends ago. I also decided if I happen to wake up early, uh, I'm just going to have a quick breakfast and hit the road. Well, Bijou the cat woke me up at 4.30, so there we go. I'm up. And I'm like, okay, this this opportunity is not going to happen again. I'm going to go. So jump in the car, drive pretty much straight, beautiful morning, sunrise, the whole thing, Uh, Vantage, Ephrata. Dry Falls, Grand Coulee, the town of Grand Coulee. And at uh, what was it? Three days earlier, I was sitting in on the Ice Age floods talks down in Portland at the meeting. And I purchased the field trip guide. So I knew the schedule of the field trip. I knew the, they had GPS locations uh, in the guidebook for, for where they were going to be. And, of course, it was all written, uh, assuming that people would show up, you know, after the fact, a year later, five years later, to go and see these uh, outcrops and and to uh, uh, read what had been prepared by the trip leaders, Richard Waite and Brian Atwater, but also Jim O'Connor, Michelle Hansen, Isaac Larson, and others. Bjornstad. Okay. So I showed up. At 8, I kind of figured out where the first stop was, which is a beautiful place, kind of up above the town of Grand Coulee, looking north and west, looking down on Grand Coulee Dam, looking down in the reservoir where the Columbia River was blocked by the dam, and also kind of where Electric City is, and you can see the upper Grand Coulee as well. So I'd never been on that little road. I think it's the old road to Wilbur. Maybe it's still the road to Wilbur from the town of Grand Coulee. The point is, I showed up, I think it was about, I don't know, maybe 745. And, of course, nobody was around yet. They were supposed to be there at 8. So then I busted back down to Grand Coulee Dam. I shot a little bit of video. I took a little look at the granite that is kind of the anchor for Grand Coulee Dam. I filmed a little bit of that kind of set the tone for the video, talked into the camera, kind of said, I don't even know if I'm going to find these guys, but my plan is to kind of crash the party, and I'll try to keep my distance. Okay, well, then I go back up to stop one, and as I'm heading towards stop one, I see all the vans are at Safeway, and it's already after 8 o'clock, so they're all stopping to get coffee or whatever. They're all staying at one of the hotels in Grand Coulee. There's three big vans, pretty easy to (laughs) spot the field trip. So I just went up on top by stop one, parked a fair distance away from where I guessed they were going to park the rigs. Because I know when you lead a field trip, it's it's no fun to find ample parking. And you're just, you know, you're, you're babys- basically a, a babysitting the group, making sure everybody's got room for this and room for that. So I parked a fair distance away and just walked towards where the vans would park. Well, the vans showed up. They parked. I sted, stood maybe 50 yards away at the first stop. I listened because Richard Waite always seems to have this portable microphone that he straps over his shoulder, this little box with a little speaker in it, and it's truly like a microphone. Uh, it's kind of a cool little device. And so even from 50 yards away, I could easily hear Waite, Atwater, Baker, Bjornstad, O'Connor, and others talking to the group, and there was maybe, you'll see the video, maybe there's, I don't know, 50 people, maybe less, I guess less, 30 people in the trip, and so I didn't feel right filming while they were talking, and so I kind of, nobody really recognized me or noticed that I was there, just kind of, you know, some local farmer sitting there in the sagebrush listening to everything, and as soon as they took off, then I filmed uh, right away, uh, kind of reporting what I had just learned from those talking about the surfaces of the granite. So it's it's a cool spot because the in the if you haven't been to the Grand Coulee Dam area, there's granite in the bedrock and the overlying Columbia River basalt lava, which was there, is gone, and it got stripped away by the ice age floods. And that's a key spot because that's the very northernmost portion of the upper Grand Coulee. Where the Columbia River Valley intersects the upper Grand Coulee. And that's important because you have Ice Age floodwater coming from Montana, uh, coming through northern Idaho, dumping into the Columbia River Valley. The ice sheet, the Okanagan ice sheet, Jerome Lessman land, is blocking the Columbia, it's sit- sitting in the Columbia Valley, downflow to the west of Grand Coulee Dam. And so there's this ice dam. Not the famous ice dam in northern Idaho, but a different ice dam right there, where, what is now Grand Coulee Dam. And so a key question to this whole development of the Grand Coulee and, and indirectly Moses Coulee is, is, when are you going to open up the connection between the Columbia River Valley floor and the floor of Grand Coulee itself? In other words, one of the major floods going to be coming into Grand Coulee, and once you open up or breach the upper Grand Coulee, and get rid of that Columbia River basalt lava, and you have exposed granite right at the surface in the floor of upper Grand Coulee, once you get big floods coming into the upper Grand Coulee that way, and you've opened up that that uh, area, uh, then you're not flooding other places because the ice dam's in place, the Okanagan lobe is sitting there. The water coming from Montana is getting sent down over dry falls in the Grand Coulee. So uh, that was an important place for me. That was new for me to see that and to kind of just see the lay of the land and and visualize the geometry of that. And then, of course, a bonus to just be sitting there amongst the beer cans next to the road in the sage and listening to these guys who have been working on these issues for 50 years. It was a real treat, i got to say. It was a real treat. And that itself would have been fine but maybe you know enough about me by now to know that I got to push. I got to push, you know. If somebody finally just kind of says, hey, what are you doing? Knock it off. You're not invited. Get the hell out of here. I would have easily just driven away. That would have been the end. But again, because I know these these folks uh, in different capacities, I thought that maybe I could just tag along. Well, by stop two, I'm already filming while they're talking. (laughs) So it was, I was going to, you know, my plan was to be real, uh, you know, kind of timid and coy, at least for the first couple of hours, and then maybe, you know, get a couple of these folks on camera as we're hiking out to Brian Atwater's spot uh, at the foot of Steamboat Rock. But even at stop two, it was so beautiful, Northrop Point it's called, where you've got boaters on a Saturday morning and you've got, were they seagulls? I don't know. It's like, you know, a bunch of white birds flocking around. Is that a verb? No, I don't think it is. Well, it is, but not in this case. Flying around. And you can see the uh, remnant of the CRB up on top and then down below the granite. And then here's all these geologists all sitting on this this Northrop Point. And Steamboat Rock is off to the west. And it was still morning light. It was beautiful. I mean, it was just great. It was absolutely great. So a little bit more coy there still wasn't talking to people uh, directly. But by this point, uh, people are saying, oh, my God, yeah, Nick's here in the middle of a sentence. Richard Waite, I'm standing next to Atwater and Richard Waite like stops what he's talking about to the group with his little microphone. And say, hey, we got Nick Zentner here. Maybe some of you know Nick Sentner. Great to have you here, Nick. Well, but that's all I needed, you know. So, if the leader of the trip is like, you know, fine with me being there, then I'm that kind of accelerated my my uh, clandestine approach. Is that the right word? Probably not. It's early. Okay, stop three. I filmed, but I ended up not using it. Stop four, it's a little bit after lunch now. And by now, I've talked to some archaeologists on the group, not, not filming it. Uh, visited with, sat, had lunch at a picnic table with Lucy, who's Randy Lewis's niece. Met her and some of the other Native Americans, or at least archaeologists from the Colville tribe that were there. Um, started visiting uh, off camera with some of the leaders. Still felt like, okay, I'm not going to be asked to leave, even though I didn't pay to be there. In fact, there was even a leftover lunch. Somebody had to cancel at the last minute, so somebody offered the, the last box lunch. So I was in, and then you might recall uh, at the beginning of the summer, I had a very memorable day with Brian Atwater, and I got all personal when I was t- telling that story on here on this uh, podcast. So it was my first time back, and there's Brian again leading us out to those spots, but now it's different. We've got the whole group, and he's distracted trying to to kind of make sure that the trip happens uh, appropriately. So at that point, it's going to take us half an hour 20 minutes or something to walk out to that point. So now I'm filming. Now I'm filming. I'm filming as I'm walking. I'm visiting with Jim O'Connor. These are all names that if you're a fan of the Ice Age floods, you know these names now. Uh, it sounds like I'm name-dropping and all that. I'm trying not to, but I, at the same time, I'm trying to give you the sense that this was not just a normal field trip. This, You know about Jay Harlan Bretz. You know Bretz was 100 years ago in eastern Washington uh, accumulating all this incredible detail on the ground before air photos. He's literally walking around with some grad students from the University of Chicago and You probably know Bretz's name because his incredible work was not acknowledged by the quote-unquote experts, even though the experts had never been (laughs) to eastern Washington. Well, Bretz lives into the 1970s. He's almost 100 before he dies, and now he's writing letters in his last decade to Vic Baker and Richard Waite, uh, who are just getting started in the Ice Age flood. So the baton is being passed to two gentlemen, Vic Baker and Richard Waite, and saying, you know, here's what needs to be done next. And I'm looking hope that you guys <laughs> I'm gonna say Brett says, I'm looking forward to seeing what you did, but he knew he was about to leave us. So there's this direct lineage among this research of the Ice Age floods between Harlan Brett's. And Vic Baker and Richard Wait. Well, they're two, those two guys are now in their late 70s, I guess. I don't really know, but they're, they're past 70 for sure, maybe 80. And so here's probably the last chance to visit with these two guys out in the field. And Waite was more busy than and Baker because Waite was half co-leading the field trip. So I never did mic him up and kind of interview him uh, formally, but I did spend some time getting weight on camera, even though the audio wasn't perfect and the lighting wasn't perfect. But I just wanted to take advantage of him talking for a few minutes, looking at a couple of the beds and the varved layers at Steamboat Rock in those Glacial Lake Columbia sediments. Uh, O'Connor talked to me a little bit as we were walking, but didn't want to be on camera. Fine. Bjornstad mic'd him up as we're walking, talking about his drone photos and some of his books the on the trail of the Ice Age floods books it's the style that I've been using for the last few months, you know, there's no planning. I just kind of slap a mic on somebody and I just start talking like I would anyway. But in fact, they're actually just looking at me and talking to me and kind of half, I think some are half forgetting that I'm just holding this phone up, which they're not even really looking at, but it's, it's the video camera. So it's, it's not a big bulky setup, which allows for, you know, pretty authentic conversations, I think. Um, Sky Cooley, the Clastic Dyke guy, he was on the trip. So he's digging, uh, you know, I'm just kind of filming as we go. Atwater's joking with me a little bit, capture a little bit of that. I don't know if people could hear it. But the the video builds and builds, at least that's the way I view it, builds and builds until the last probably 15 minutes. And Vic Baker... Um, you know, now I'm running out of battery on my camera and I get over to Vic and I, and he's, he's not leading the trip and he's not a, a major part of the trip, even though he's there. I can tell that he's kind of like holding back, like he wants to say some things, but he's picking his spots. It's not his trip. Although he's, you know, spent his whole career on these ice age floods. And some of you might know his work, uh, he was on the he was the main geologist profiled in the PBS program, I don't know, 20 years ago, called Mysteries of the Mega Floods, the guy with the Indiana Jones hat and he's up on Steamboat Rock, that guy. Well, the, this video that I just posted, uh, the last 15 minutes is Vic Baker and we're kind of at the end of the group, and everybody else is up ahead, and they're listening to Atwater and everything else. And I'm just uh, talking about Bretts with Vic Baker. I'm talking about uh, kind of, you know, I had the Jerome Lessman stuff in my mind. That's a couple radio episodes ago. You know, the guy from up in B.C. with the water that probably came down the Okanagan, and that's not a major narrative, at least on this side of the border. kind of pushed Baker in that direction a little bit, wondered if he wanted to comment on that, and he did. And he basically said, it's an open question, and those landforms up by OMAC and Tenasket are not, they have not been given as much attention as they probably deserve. Um, So that was kind of fun to kind of capture that. Uh, Sky Cooley had some great stuff. Uh, he's real good if you saw the classic dyke video uh, but he crammed the i i you know like all these guys i just said would you put this mic on so i clip it on their on their lapel and then there's a little receiver that has a little blue light on it and that's what communicates with my phone and sky was busy digging and down on his hands and knees and the whole thing and he just kind of Without thinking about it, and I didn't really even notice, he just kind of shoved the receiver in his back pocket. And so that was enough interference, I think, that his his mic uh, quality, his audio was was uh, choppy. And I, w- I was real bummed about that because he had some excellent stuff. So I had to cut some of that out because we just couldn't hear him. But I, I kept what I could. And uh, all these little cameos by these guys on, on camera, um, I'm carefully kind of dropping in their name uh, on the on the screen so people can, can get, get a sense of who's talking when. So you're waiting for the geology. I don't know if I really have a whole lot of geology for you because I haven't read the guide carefully. I haven't read all this stuff that Atwater and Wait and others uh, carefully put together. I'm actually saving it for next summer. I'm thinking I, I might even do a new live stream series Next year, maybe even beyond, on all this new work that's been done on the Ice Age floods. But instead, I just wanted to capture that day the best that I could. So maybe in total, I was with the group from 8:30 until what was it? Two in the afternoon, probably something like that. And then it took two hours to drive home, and um, so there were still plenty more that day. And and I'll I'll come back to the big picture view. I like doing my own thing. The few times I've been on these multi, multi-day multi field trips, I, I kind of feel like I'm in prison. It's not a nice thing to say, but I like the freedom and the flexibility to kind of go where I want to um, leave, and go to a different spot if I'm bored by something or the light is wrong, so I'll switch something else. If you're on a four-day field trip on the GSA, let's say, I've only done that twice, but you're just a captive, man. You don't have a vehicle. (laughs) You're climbing into the back of a van, in and out of a van, like multiple times a day. Uh, It's the same people talking at every stop. Uh, If it's a group you're not wild about, you know, you're like, oh, my God, I got three more days of this. So it's just not my thing. So that's another. So you might go. Well, why didn't you sign up? For, why didn't you play by the rules? Why didn't you sign up for the trip if this was such a big deal? Well, number one, I'm teaching, so I couldn't go Thursday and Friday because I I have a, a job, <laughs> a teaching job, and I already had already taken two days off to go to the conference earlier that week. And you know, I don't like does anybody, but I don't like being out in the field when it's raining and super windy and you can't even hear what's going on. And Again, if I'm trying to film things, I need good weather, nice, calm, sunny skies, or at least overcast skies. So that kind of checked out. And then the other reason I didn't do the field trip like officially is because I don't want to do four days of it. I, I, I prefer using those field guides after the fact. The, the month after the field trip is actually run or the year after or sometimes the decade after or 40 50 years after the field trip you still have the guide you still have the mile markers you still have the the text and the maps and the sometimes the photos to me that's a that's a fun time man that's a good time just me just me and a bunch of water and maybe some fresh apples and and uh, let's just follow this field guide and and uh, and enjoy it and if you've been watching some of the videos i've been actually doing that i've been following field guides Uh, i think that's a blast but the part where i have to be in this kind of group where you're all listening to this monotone i'm not saying everybody's monotone you know but it's just it's just kind of a it's not my scene and I'll say one more thing. I thoroughly enjoyed that Saturday and I'm grateful to the leaders and everybody there for not being bothered outwardly that I was there. And even when I was filming, I was just trying to, you know, be kind of casual about it. But there's such a there's such a off-tone to me. I I like to have fun. I like to not take myself so seriously and and I like to um uh learn new things. I I I love geology. I think that's clear. And if you're listening to this, you probably love geology too. Just a bunch of people who are professional quote unquote geologists, just take themselves so damn seriously. The tone is just like you're you're it's like a I don't know, you're in some sort of church or something. It's like I don't not into that. So you know, it's I, I don't know. That's I'm not saying that trip was particularly dour. It wasn't, but that that I'm always reminded of that and kind of surprised by it every time when I'm with a, a group of professional geologists. That it's there's reputations at stake and there everything needs to be carefully presented without any kind of whimsy. I understand it's science and all that, and it's not super confrontational and nasty I, like I guess it was a generation or two ago. So that's positive, but I don't know. It, it, it's not as lively and interactive as you might think, or maybe it should be. And that's kind of the leaders, I guess, on how they want to set things up. So there are some emerging stars in this story. Uh, stars, I don't know. There's, there's some younger people working on this, which is great to see. Isaac Larson from University of Massachusetts and his doctoral student, Karen, I can't remember her last name, uh, you know, it's not easy for them to get out to the Northwest for field work, you know, it's, it's, they're not getting woke up by the cat at 4.30 and they're out there by 7.30, let's say. Uh, but Larson and his students are continue to work on um, basalt surfaces and other surfaces to get surface exposure dating to get some dates for when some of the flooding may have happened again I mentioned Michelle Hansen who I, I where is she is she she in uh, she's in Canada I think she's a professor now um, I think she's... Well, I know when I was doing some programs on Glacial Lake, Missoula, it was maybe her doctoral work. I don't know anything about her. I need to learn about her. Um, somehow I found her on Twitter, and she's got glasses, and uh, she's maybe in her 30s, and she has braids kind of on both sides, kind of coming down in front. Braids. Are those called braids? It's not a ponytail, but it's you know, braids on both sides, kind down by her ears, and what <laughs> a weird way to describe. Anyway, I mentioned that because I saw her Twitter like photo or whatever like cartoon or something, I guess, like a caricature. And then as I'm looking at this video footage and I'm editing together, I'm oh my God, that was her. I should have got her. but I was I was so focused on getting these these old guys who are almost certainly not going to be together in the field again. and they're again direct. Descendants of brats, essentially. I, I felt like that was that was the main focal point. So, Michelle, sorry. Isaac, sorry. Some of the others uh, who probably have as much interesting stuff to share, maybe even more interesting stuff to share. I'll get you guys the next go around. How about that? Just in case you listen to this. So I'm reporting on crashing a GSA field trip. I'm not endorsing it necessarily. I'm not recommending it. I'm not asking you to crash any sort of professional outing, I don't think. It's impolite and inappropriate. But in this case, I felt like I maybe had a chance to do it without upsetting too many people and get some eyes on that trip that otherwise would not be on it. So I posted it a couple hours ago, we'll see uh, how popular it is, but I think it's one of the best things that I've put on the, the YouTube channel, um, just, from a, um, just from a point of view of, of being a popularizer, is that a word, of geology. I'll finish with this, it's kind of back to the theme I started with I guess. Why do these GSA meetings have to be private? In other words, why do you have to pay whatever it is, $500 to to attend one of these meetings? Or at least in what we've learned from the pandemic, why can't we just make all these talks available digitally, visually uh, to everyone? They were recording many of these sessions for the first time. That was nice to see, but of course you can't watch it unless you're a member of the... I don't get why why all the where is all this money going? First of all, for this Geological Society of America. Second of all, can't we be forward thinking about this? Well, we we do this for professional geologists. We're not doing this for uh, somebody sitting at home. Well, why not? Who's paying for the funding? Who who's uh, who's funding the research? By the way, what's that? It's a National Science Foundation grant? Really? Okay. That's federal money, right? Who's paying for that? Well, then how come these programs aren't available to the taxpayers? Well, they are if they click through this window and this paywall. Make it easy. Get a YouTube channel. Put it all up there for free. Or even better yet, open the doors. Let everybody come in. I'm not saying the field trips. There's logistical problems, but I may be missing some key things that make it impossible to be a little bit more inclusive, but I'm not just talking about inclusive within the geological community and having more than just old white guys dressed in khaki, by the way, but I'm also just saying why can't this be more available to everybody? Because in the last... 20 years there has been an explosion in interest in geology and in natural sciences that's a positive thing let's further that let's increase that let's ride the wave of that popularity instead of keeping everything under lock and key for members only good grief for members only well, this is a hallmark of the radio episodes of late. The anger boils up at some point. What the hell? What is this about? I don't know. Come on now. It's Friday. I got to go teach and uh, put a smile on my face. And I do want to report that it was a memorable day. I hope that you enjoy the video. Thanks to all that are willing to put themselves on camera without any preparation and just trusting me that I wasn't going to embarrass them. And I hope that you enjoy watching that and follow the research of the Ice Age floods in the coming decades. Thank you, dear listener. I appreciate you listening to this episode and all of these episodes. I love you, and goodbye.